0: Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Rachel. And I'm Chris. And this is the New Statesman's politics podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the SNP conference, which took place in Aberdeen earlier this week. What this has told us about the next steps for Hamza Youssef and the future of the party. Hello, I'm Anoushah Kellyan, Britain editor of The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have Rachel Wearmouth, deputy political editor, and down the line, Chris Dearin, Scotland editor. So Chris, please just tell us what the mood was like at party conference. What were you picking up?
2: It was, a, it was an interesting conference for a number of reasons, really. It was the first since Nicholas Sturgeon stood down as first minister. It was also really the first since the dip in the SNP's fortunes. And I I guess both of those things, along with all the other troubles the SNP have had over the past year, were pretty evident in the mood around the place. So certainly for the last decade or so, SNP conference has been a bit of a buzzy place. There's been a lot of business uh, activity on the stalls, uh, a lot of lobbyists around, many, many members, thousands of people in attendance, obviously on the the view that independence was just around the corner. So it felt like the most exciting political event in Scotland. And I'd say this year it, it didn't feel like that anymore maybe that's not a huge surprise given everything we've we've seen but it was notable that there was a lack of buzz that there were fewer people from business there there were fewer business people in the stalls i think maybe seen some of the photographs on social media that Hamza a use of speech it wasn't filled the, the audience wasn't full when that happens i guess as i say what, what would you expect after a very difficult year for the snp wow. the, the conference reflected that throughout really
0: yeah, and a very difficult time as well, because it was coming off the back of that big defeat in the Rutherglen by-election, and then you had the defection of Lisa Cameron as well to the Conservatives. Not an easy political environment for Hamza Youssef to have his first conference as leader in.
2: That's right, and not when the SNP have grown used to. They tend to have been on the up for so long that, everything has been lollipops and lemonade for them, and suddenly it, it doesn't feel like that. I think the speeches from ministers were a bit ho-hum, in, in my view, and I suppose that... The main highlight of the event, which didn't really help, was the arrival of Nicola Sturgeon, who came swooping down like some former grandee, and everyone was delighted to see her, and, and she got a huge round of applause during Hummer's speech, but also when she arrived at the conferences itself. And, and perhaps that just showed us what the SNP are missing now, just that element of stardust, whatever the, the personal difficulties that, that Nicola Sturgeon is still dealing with around the investigation into party finances. But nevertheless, the contrast between Nicola Sturgeon and just that edge of or a reminder of better times and then yeah. the SNP government and, and cabinet as it is now was, was quite quite stark.
3: The sort of headlines that I noticed come out of it were the, the council tax freeze and the new strategy on independence which I think we were going to come on to to discuss which is moving from 50% of the popular vote to now 50% of the seats is that right?
2: That's right that's right. Fact, finally we got some clarity because we've been having this discussion for for some time it wasn't at all evident what the SNP policy actually was and in fact when I interviewed Hamza Yusuf for the New Statesman the week before the conference I kind of asked him do you know what your policy is because in everything I'd heard from him it wasn't clear that he did and, he spoke for some time and I was every bit confused at the end of his explanation than I was at the start. But but we've got where they wanted to get to, which is if the SNP wins a majority of Scottish seats, of the 59 Scottish seats at the next general election, they will take that as a mandate to begin discussions with the British government. Not, I think, about moving towards independence or, or immediately moving to independence, but more about what the route is to a second referendum. I think that's realistically, that's what they're talking about. Um, I mean, I think the fact they've reduced it to a majority of seats says something about their expectations for the next general election because Sturgeon's policy was 50 plus 1% of the of the vote in Scotland which is obviously a much higher bar than half of 59 seats so that tells us maybe that they've had to, to scale down their, their ambitions a bit and they are still saying to people even if we lose a bunch of seats because they've got much more than, than what they're aiming for at the moment even if we lose a bunch of seats we still think we're in a position to have a mandate to begin these conversations and I just wonder how that would feel in the cold light of day because it would be seen in general around the country if that was what they achieved in general election that the momentum had stopped for them that they'd kind of lost the general election even if a bit ahead if there was a bunch of seats it's not going to feel like a victory for them so to then claim well that's a mandate i think will feel quite hollow when it gets there and in a way i think it's really a holding position they know they're not going to get a referendum anytime soon they know that the polls are dipping in terms of support for the party and i just think they needed a position to keep going basically. So this this is what they've got. As you said in the interview, he wanted to make the choice about what the policy was. Conference decides, the party decides, and then we move on to focusing on all of the issues that the people in Scotland are talking about, like the people across the UK in terms of cost of living and the state of the economy and whether public services are operating the way they should. This allows him to do that. I think we can, we can you know, debate whether it's the right policy and independence, but nevertheless he was quite keen in his speech to move on from banging on about independence as well so that was a bit of a sign of what we're going to get over the next year and the run-up to the general election.
3: How's the council tax policy gone down with Scottish voters?
2: I'm not sure about Scottish voters I haven't seen any any evidence of that yet it's fair to say it hasn't gone down well with Scottish councils who weren't told in advance that this was going to be announced and in fact the Scottish cabinet wasn't told it was going to be announced or certainly didn't get the chance to agree to it before it was announced it was a it was a real surprise actually because the SNP under some pressure from think tanks like Mind Reform Scotland, we've been seeing for ages, that the centralisation of power at Holyrood has really left Scotland's councils neutered, get very little control over what they're able to do economically. And we've had a council tax freeze before in Scotland under the SNP, I think around about 2017. And we know that councils are struggling under the existing budget services are being cut. They've had real funding problems in terms of what's been delivered from central government over the last decade or so. And now, with no consultation, they've been told that it's going to be frozen again. And the backlash has been really interesting Cosley, the Convention of Scottish Local Authorities is basically threatening to rebel and said, you you can't make us, which is quite entertaining. Of course, the government can't really make them in terms of ordering them to do it, but it does have various levers it can pull to ensure that if you don't do this, then we will cut your funding or whatever. There are, there are ways to, to use the bully pulpit of high office, if you like, to, to, to achieve this. But I think, Hamza Yusuf is aware that by putting up income tax, they're moving towards the edge, I think, of what the public are willing to tolerate, that sort of sense of middle Scotland. who are also having it very hard under the cost of living crisis. I think people have been willing to see taxes rise a little bit to help fund some poverty programmes, but people in middle Scotland are a bit skint as well. So I, I, certainly from probably more anecdotally than anything else, I'm hearing that people have kind of had enough of it and are a bit worried about their own pockets. So... I think in a way, Hamza's gambling here that by forcing councils to keep tax down, he can sell that as a tax cut and come the budget, which is on December the 19th, the Scottish budget, he might therefore be able to put income tax up a bit more and claim that that's a progressive move because he's saving people money on the council tax. But again, there's arguments about what's progressive and what's regressive and, and both of those things. So there's going to be a, an ongoing Barney about that, <laughs> yeah. which we shall be covering closely.
3: It strikes me as a political opportunity for Scottish Labour that, I mean, Gordon Brown talked about his Constitution Commission and how there is power kind of hoarded in Holyrood. This is going to be an example of all the things that Gordon Brown's arguing for, I think.
2: That's right. There's a number of things there as well. The Tories in Scotland have been talking about cutting taxes back to UK levels because at the moment our income tax, if you earn over £20,000 a year, you'll pay more in income tax than you would if you were elsewhere in the UK. The Tories have said they want to reduce taxes back to UK levels and the SNP obviously raised them, are, are, are making it pretty clear they want to raise them further. And Anna Sarwa, the Scottish Labour leader, has come in and said, we're not going to put them up anymore. So he's kind of having his cake and eating it a bit, splitting the difference. That, 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 that's a bit of positioning there. And as you say, Gordon Brown and others have been arguing that, that we need a wee bit of loosening from the centre in, in Scotland. It's certainly the case that since the Scottish Parliament came along, it's really not only so power has been devolved from Hollywood, but Hollywood itself has really pulled power towards itself from Local authorities, and there's been a lot of talk at the Parliament on, on parliamentary committees, I think, and in Civic Scotland that, that that needs to change councils as well, not just Labour councils or whatever, but SNP councils, Glasgow City Council, the biggest in Scotland, which is run by the SNP. They want uh, a loosening of, of control from the centre so that they can tackle many of the problems that that Glasgow has. So yeah, it's a debate that hasn't gone away. And I think that was because of the direction it had been moving. And that was why the council tax fees was such a surprise when it was announced.
0: Yeah. And where are all these changes of strategy coming from? Is is it that Labour is sort of riding higher in the polls and had that success in the by-election? Because a lot of their rhetoric was the SNP is a high tax party, they're obsessed with independence. And so they've moved away from that de facto referendum position and also they've moved to try and make themselves perceived as a bit less of a high taxing party. Is this pressure from Labour that's changing the strategy? Or do you think it's Hamza Youssef's true instincts? You've interviewed him, so maybe you could tell.
2: I think the Labour success, relative success, is definitely a part of it. You could see that, and in polls as well, you could see that independence was slipping down the list of priorities, even amongst pro-independence supporters. Not surprising, given given what we've been living through for the, the past few years, The SNP are are dropping the polls. So I I think Hamza Yusuf and his team obviously noticed that. They're not daft. And they knew that the debate over the process of getting towards independence had gone on and on really since Sturgeon brought a de facto referendum perhaps before that with the various demands for referendums themselves and realised that public were getting a bit tired of the discussion and were worried about the NHS and schools and and jobs and their income so as I said earlier the idea was to get through conference take a position on independence and then move on to those priorities and it was interesting during his speech that it was quite policy rich in places he's no Winston Churchill in terms of oratory, but but actually I found it quite an interesting speech because the arguments and discussions about independence were really in the second half of the speech and, and you wouldn't really expect, expect it to be up top. There was a brief mention at the start, but then it got onto various announcements. So funding various projects he wants to anchor a new offshore wind supply chain 500 million in funding over five years for that there'll be a pilot scheme for domestic abuse survivors who when they leave the partners will be given a thousand pounds as part of a fund to leave and also interesting and again maybe this speaks to some of the, the sort of pro-independence canniness there's going to be an extra 100 million in each of the next three years to cut nh waiting lists but also the funding of the arts is going to be doubled over five years. And you might remember back at the time of the independence referendum, the National Collective, which was a kind of organisation set up by the artistic community in favour of independence, was really important. It kept the profile high. It brought in a lot of well-known celebrity Scots or, or, or creative Scots and made independence cool. So there have been a lot of talk about cuts to arts and a lot of disenchantment in the artistic sector about the direction the government is moving. And so it's hard not to see doubling over five years funding for the arts is a bit of stay with us, guys. Times are hard, but we will basically stuff your mouth with gold if you take and stick with us. That said, the other thing it's worth mentioning, of course, is they announced plans for Scotland's first ever bond. So there's going to be a bond put on the financial markets to fund various social programs in Scotland. And again, that speaks a bit to the longer term independence program, because The argument has always been that an independent Scotland which might struggle, certainly in relation to the way the UK operates, to fund its money on on the international markets. There wouldn't be the market confidence. So this, in a way, is a bit of a, a free hit to try that. We'll see what we get. We'll see what the rates that are charged are. Obviously, there'd be an implicit guarantee from the UK because we're still part of the UK, so it wouldn't be a true test. But I think they want to establish the principle that Scotland could vote a bond. And once that's done, they can do it again. Again, it's looking a bit to the future and to, to those arguments for what, they, what the economics of an independent Scotland look like.
0: It's really interesting. I, I wonder how that's gone down with their partners in government, the Greens, and how that relationship is shaping up in general. I mean, was there disquiet about that relationship at the conference?
2: It depends who you speak to. Again, when I interviewed Hamza Youssef, I did ask him about the the Greens, and this was in the back of some of the, the comments that were made about Hamas. Uh, by some of the Greens who are, tend to find that many of them are, are very pro-Palestinian and very distrustful of the Israeli government and uh, created some awkward questions. But I did ask him whether he felt that the, the Green coalition that they've set up would run through to 2026, which he said before he's, he's very happy with and he wants to keep it running, gives them a majority at Holyrood to get the legislation through. There's a lot of people in the SNP who are becoming less happy with that because some of the policies that have been troublesome for the SNP have been really Green-derived or Green-driven policies and attempt to work with the Greens on certain quite hard environmental policies. But he did say that the coalition is kept under review constantly. He would be keeping it under review, but for the moment he was happy with it. It was a slightly more lukewarm statement than I was used to hearing from him, but that might just have been speaking to the audience that he was, he was saying, I would probably <laughs> want to hear. But, but actually the Greens have been pretty quiet I think, I think they, they're aware as well that the SNP are, are struggling at the moment and, you know, the, the SNP do badly, then the Greens will go out of government. The case for independence, which they're at least as passionate about as the SNP, will be set back. So I, I think they're maybe sucking that up a bit at the moment.
0: After the break, we'll hear how Hamza Youssef has handled the Israel-Gaza crisis, given his in-laws are trapped in Gaza. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on the New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes.
3: If you enjoy the New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Wearmouth, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description.
0: And actually, what we should discuss lastly is that Hamza Yusuf has had a really difficult time personally in the past few days. His in-laws are trapped in Gaza and he's spoken quite movingly about it. And I think, and you can tell us more about this, Chris, but I think he's perceived to have trod quite a good line on the Israel-Hamas crisis so far, given that he has such a personal stake in it. I mean, he was seen embracing one of the bereaved at a synagogue. which is quite a moving moment. Tell us more about how he's responded to the crisis.
2: I, I think he's been quite statesmanlike, and setting aside these awful personal circumstances, and we all feel for him as we do for the relatives of everyone caught up in this situation, both in Israel and and in Gaza. I, I think, in a way, politically, and it sounds a bit trite to say it, but I still think it's true. It's given him a chance to be statesmanlike because he's been able to, in a sense, rise above the prejudices on one side or the other. The fact that he's been to synagogues, he's been to mosques, he's been able to talk about it from a position of of personal difficulty, but actually be, in a sense, the bigger man and and, and talk on behalf of Scotland's Jews as well as the Arab community and and others. So I think he's handled it really well. And it is one of those moments where you wonder if it will be the making of him slightly because he's had to sort of step up and grow a little bit, and, and speak for the country rather than for the SNP, for both sides of, of this very difficult situation, and I think he's handled it really well so far. Obviously, it's his wife Nadia's parents who are who are stuck in Gaza. They were over visiting family and. I know, again, when I spoke to him, he was worried about the amount of food and water they had. They only had for a few days. There's a four-month-old baby in the family who relied on formula milk. So they were worried about access to these kind of things. Then, obviously, they worry about the, the military response from Israel. They must be going through a lot as a family at the moment. And we've seen, I think, Nadia has been on the television talking about it. We've seen video clips from her mother from Gaza. And it looks very, very fraught. And I know that Amza Yusuf has been speaking to the Foreign Office, trying to ask about some route out of Gaza and whether a ceasefire would be possible. Obviously, from his family position, that, that would suit him. But overall, I do think he's balanced things well. I think he's won the respect of people in the way that he's handled this very difficult situation.
3: Have you seen anything of the, the Queen over the water, Kate Forbes? <laughs> Did she make anything of a splash?
2: She wasn't at conference. She decided not to not to go to conference. I don't know whether that was Sam. But it was in Aberdeen. She's an MP for the Highlands, MSP for the Highlands. She's not super far away from it, but nevertheless, she decided not to go. So I have no intelligence as to whether this was a statement or a, a rebuke in the way that we journalists like to set these things up but as I say there were probably quite a few people who weren't there and didn't feel like the most exciting consciousness in the world so you could argue that you know her not, not going allowed Hamza to go on and make it his show. Uh, but obviously, Nicholas Sturgeon decided to yeah. go and kind of made it harsh show. Yeah,
0: exactly. There's always other people wasting in the wings, aren't always, there? Always. The Liz always. Truss effect. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Chris. We'll let you go. I know you've been battling through Storm Babbitt to, to get to this cafe. And and if anyone heard any background noise, that's the cafe that Chris is in. Um, but we'll leave you to it and we'll speak to you soon.
2: Thanks very much.
0: Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. If you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and type your reply. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shikelian, and my colleagues, Rachel Wearmouth and Chris Deeren. We'll be back tomorrow with reactions to the mid Bedfordshire and Tamworth by elections. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do,